I think that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the action of it. I'm going to miss that adrenaline you get when you're, when you're telling a story. When the, when the news is happening right now and things are going breaking right now and you have a story and you have a part in that, I'm going to miss that, you know, being able to do that. The challenge for me will be uh, trying to find some other way to fulfill that desire to be an advocate for someone who is, is really having a difficult time in life. Hello, and welcome to the 22nd episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. And if this is your first time listening to The Broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. And for those joining us again, welcome back. And as always, thank you so much for listening. All of this was possible because of you and our amazing sponsors and partners, including Evolve Her and our podcast home, 1871, Chicago's premier hub for entrepreneurs, innovation, and technology. The broadcast is also sponsored by The Insurance People, a woman and minority-owned agency focused on small business health insurance, individual health insurance, and Medicare supplements. I'm Becky Carroll, president and CEO of C Strategies, and I'm also your host. Usually we have three guests on our program, but today we felt like we needed to devote an entire episode to a Chicago original, famed Chicago journalist and legend, and I'm I'm going to, you know, you're going to let me say this I'm over gonna, and over I'm again. I'm going to let you say it. That's right. Just <laughs> let me say it. Welcome to Mary Mitchell. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It took me a while getting here. I know, and I'm so sorry excited. that I'm getting here as I'm leaving there. <laughs> it's all good. You're yeah. here now. That's yeah. all that matters. Yes, mm-hmm. I have been. We have tried to make this happen before, but better late than never. And I'm really excited. So as I'm sure most of our listeners know, uh, Mary recently announced that she stepped down, stepped back, I should say, really, mm-hmm. um, from the Sun-Times after 29 years of one of its best known and respected columnists and voices. Uh, she first joined the Sun-Times as an education writer in 1991. I did not know that. <laughs> and has covered City Hall and the U.S. federal courts. And Mary went on to become a columnist where she continually raised community awareness about issues impacting urban areas that often went ignored by policymakers, including criminal justice, police misconduct, race relations, and in several instances, her reporting led state legislators to strengthen laws protecting the rights of women and children. So Mitchell's received numerous journalism awards, including the Award of Excellence from the National Association of Black Journalists, the Studs Terkel Award from the Community Media Workshop, the Peter Lissagor Award from the Chicago Headline Club, and in 2011, she was inducted into the Chicago Journalism Hall of Fame. Oh, my. My, my, my. That was a mouthful and a half. Jeez. (laughs) Yes. That's, again, to be proud of. So we're really fortunate to have her on the show today. I've known and worked with Mary multiple times over the past couple of decades, and there are really, truly few people I respect more than her, both in this business and in life. I've had to go to Mary on occasion (laughs) just to spew and vent and get some words of wisdom. So Again, so welcome to the show. So I know there are a lot of people out there like me in denial that um, they're not going to be reading your byline every week. So tell us, like, why did you decide to pretty much hang things up? Well, I really, it started about a year ago when I was just feeling tired, like burned. Like, I did I write this lead? Already, didn't I already say this? <laughs> didn't, didn't I write this story? This story looks awfully familiar. <laughs> You know, and you know, you can't you can't plagiarize your own work. So I just felt like, okay, I'm on safe ground. But I I knew that 
29 years is a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave then. But they convinced me, my editor, Chris Fusco, convinced me to give them another year. Just give them another year of my voice. He's a good and man. I, Way I to go, Chris. I, and I was, and it was really good. You know, you, it's like, you know, it's, it's like in a relationship, uh, you might want to break up, but if they said, okay, when you say I want to break up, honey, and then they let you go right out the door, you're kind of mad about that. So it felt good. <laughs> you still want me around yes, for they one still more want year. Me around. But in this year, We've I, we've seen a lot of news. Was, there's been a lot of grooming, a lot of changes at the Sun Times. There are a lot of voices. There's so many young voices in that mm -hmm. newsroom. And I got to tell you, they are as hungry as I was when I walked in there in 1991. Yeah. They are skilled. They are great reporters. They love what they do. It's exciting, and it's exciting for them. And if you don't have that in your belly, if you don't have that excitement about the 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 job that you're doing, you're doing the wrong job. So I just felt like I did, I, I, I hit the wall. Right. I did what I was supposed to do, and it was time to step back, rest a little bit, spend time with my grandchildren, get to know my husband a little better, <laughs> you know, those sorts right. of things. Play the with basics the dog in more. life. Basics yes. of life. I woke up in May and had turned, had turned 70, and those numbers were huge to me. I was like, what the hell is a 70? And if you're gonna turn 70, then you gotta start thinking, okay, let's make use of the time you have left. So right. here's the good news. The good news is that I will be writing uh, two columns a month. Great. Uh, I, I know that's probably gonna be harder than writing a column every other day because you're <laughs> gonna have, you know, it takes you so long to get to them. Sure. But I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay engaged. Mm -hmm. I will still be an emeritus on the editorial board. So look oh, for great. me during election times, mm -hmm. I will help them as a consultant, mm -hmm. and I will still be able to go out and enjoy what's rest, the rest of my life. Well, I think 70 is a new 50, because one, you look amazing, and I want to be sure you're around for a very long time, <laughs> because we can all use your voice here in more ways than one. So I'm still excited, though. We'll still get to see your byline on occasion. On occasion. I just won't get to wake up every other day and be like, what did Mary write about today? Because, <laughs> okay. you know, you're always pretty thought-provoking. So my observation about you over the years is that you've never been afraid to speak your mind. I've read some comments like, ooh, this is going <laughs> to cause some trouble today. Which has, you know, earned you both praise and probably some haters. You know, right, we're all going to sure. have our haters, right? Right. Um, but you've never shied away from calling people out, whether it be elected officials, leaders in the African-American community, or around public policy. So what always either, I don't know, empowered you or motivated you to just say what you felt need to be said? Well, I think because I was the oldest in a family of 10, we grew up in a household with 10, with, there were 10, nine siblings, including a twin sister. And if you want to be heard, you better speak up. And if you didn't like something, you better say something. Because if you didn't say something, people are going to run. That Those siblings will run right over you, okay? Uh, when my parents had to go shopping or they had to go do this or had to go do that, we were left in charge. And so you had to you had to be clear what your instructions are and you got to let people know how you feel. I think that's where I got that from. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, uh, public housing, uh, Chicago Housing Authority, CHA's high-rise development on the south uh, east side mm -hmm. that has now been torn down, of course. All that's been demolished, the high-rises are all gone. But the experiences that you had there, the yeah. fact that you had to be very bold when we walked through the neighborhood, the fact that we had to defend ourselves in a lot of instances, and the fact that you had to learn the good people 
from the people you need to stay away from. Yep. And they all have kind of the same qualities about them. And so I think all of that came together to make me a person who, you know, kind of speak their mind. Right, right. I say right. what I have to say. Well, I assume you will still continue to speak your mind, of course, when you when you do have something to say. <laughs> True. So, so I think I'd also be missing a pretty big opportunity here if I didn't ask you to give us your thoughts on the mayors you've covered over the years. So I think if you had to maybe rank mayors in terms of their impact, mm-hmm. you know, where would we see Daly end up, Emanuel end up? Uh, okay. And and I mean, I guess we can give we, Lightfoot a pass on, on, on this one here because, you know, she's still very right, new. But, right. you know, but I'm curious what. Because you know. Daly was in so long. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had a much greater impact when you think about it. He had a much greater impact because because oh, yeah. of all the years. I mean, and he was building on legacy. So for, in a lot of ways, his I'm not saying it was all positive impact. Right. Some of it's very negative. I think what he did with the school system and taking control of the school system was a was a big mistake, and it it hurt the public education system drastically. You know, I mean, it really it really opened the door for uh, the kind of corruption corruption that we saw with Barbara Bird Bennett. Mm-hmm. It was not a good idea, and he never, even though he took ownership. Well, even though he was in charge of the Board of Education, he never took ownership of it. Right. You know, he never really wore the jacket. He just sort of. He was in control, and he put people where he wanted to put them, and then the chips fell where they may. That was him. Rahm, for all the things that people have said about Rahm Emanuel, I have found him most fascinating in a lot of ways. Okay, thing number one, I probably sat down with Mayor Daley one time in all the years that— Really? Yeah. No, I never— That's surprising. Or he would sit down with Fran, but he was not really friendly with reporters. Yeah. And so he kept his distance. He kept us on the bus riding all over town. Right. And he didn't come in and he didn't he didn't pop into the newsroom or anything like that. Well, I found that Ron was a, he ran a different type of, of administration. People may say that he was gruff and he was rude and he was all those things. But guess what? He would sit down with you and he would try to have an eye to eye talk, a frank conversation. You may disagree with him, but he wanted right. you to hear his point of view. And so mm-hmm. I probably sat in that mayor's office no less than a dozen times wow. during his administration. I found that fascinating. Why I think Rahm Emanuel will have the greater impact is you got the Millennial Park, right? But guess what? I came down and walked down that that, that waterway that we have. Yeah. Yes. The river walk. Yeah, yeah. That river walk now is a real big part of Chicago and it's going to be part of Chicago culture. That's a real big it deal. It really came to life. Yes, under, it did. I remember Mayor Daly was the one that kind of first opened the gates there and started to, like, bring some stuff in. But, yeah, over the last no, few but years. over the, the last woof. few years, he really took. And not only did he do that, but he also, I think the pa- impact that we he doesn't get enough credit for is that his impact on uh, charitable don- donations to organizations that serve young black males. Yeah. He like with Bam invested, and others. He invested mm-hmm. his money in terms of his fundraising money. He invested his money in that, but he also made sure that businesses were contributing to uh, those organizations. So the impact that, that that those young men will have by not getting involved in gangs, by continuing their education, by graduating from high school and going on to college, you can't that's immeasurable. Right. You know, right. you can talk about, you know, that's real and, impact. Right. You can talk about, you know, waterways and you can talk about parks and you can talk about those sort of things. But investing in the lives of disadvantaged young men and women mm-hmm. in this city is going to pay off mm-hmm. big down the road. 
I think so too. And, you know, my perspective, having worked at CPS for three years when a lot of the controversial things got done, including extending the school day and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look now at the progress that's been made at CPS, it's not perfect. A lot of it has to do with severe underfunding by the state, which is starting to get righted. Um, You know, we went- But, you know, Daly wasn't even bold enough to close schools that needed to be closed. They needed to be closed. And so now you wait until they stack up until you got 25, 50 schools that need to be closed. And when somebody comes along and closes them, because what else, why would you have 25, 250 kids of the school built for 2,000. Right, especially, I mean, you lost 180,000 people in Chicago from 2000, 2010, primarily African-American, which is kind of shameful and sad in and of itself, but that left a lot of schools with not a lot lot of kids. And you know, it was very difficult. Yeah, well, very and, difficult and when people, yeah, when people talk about the the flight of of blacks disappearing from uh, Chicago, the, those hundred eighty thousand something people, all I can say is that that is how um, migration first started from the south. If you don't have any opportunity, if the schools are bad, if it's unsafe, why would you live there? Right. So I mean, we are we are now hurtling toward a situation where a, a lot of black people are are going to pick up pack up and leave because right. if you can't find that employment, if they're not prepared and trained for the jobs of, of the future, which are coming along, then you're going to have the the black flight that right. we are seeing. Well, and it's continue. it's fascinating because Chicago is just ranked as I think the number one place for tech talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know what are we doing to make sure that that's extending everywhere and people aren't just coming here for the jobs, but we're actually helping people here to get those jobs. Exactly, right? and now we and we still telling people that they got to have a four-year college degree yeah. to find a job, you know? I mean, I, I I even have to give the Emmanuel administration credit for extending uh, two-year colleges, making their courses much more mm-hmm. relevant, hooking them up to the industries that they will be feeding people in the pipeline to. That was a good idea. Yeah. I and think- that and that and that is going to help these communities that are now struggling to find employment for these families. Right, because that's giving them that experience and paper they need to take it and get that job. And exactly. a lot of folks, and, and a lot of folks aren't going to college. They right. don't want to go to college. Right. They want to work with their hands. They want to build. They want to do those kinds of things. They are not. They're not college people. What are they going to do in the city of Chicago? And there used to be almost like a little shame that went with not going to college, right? A four-year college, right. and that's that's becoming, I think, a thing of the past as well. There well, are some things that. With all those big, with all those big student loans, I guess it is. Uh, yeah, I think we could probably have a show just on that right. uh, in and of itself. So, right. so what you know, what did you think you learned most about yourself as a columnist? Because you have to evolve during right. that time with all that you're exposed to. Right. I, I think what I learned most about myself was that I'm very, very much an advocate. You know, I was an advocate before. That was a thing in journalism because we were taught in journalism that you had to, you couldn't be biased. You couldn't keep your opinions Stick to, to the yourself. Facts. Stick to the <laughs> facts. You know, you're telling the story. But when as soon as I got in that newsroom, I, my, I saw that as a platform to help people. And so the thing I learned about um, me is that I wanted to save the world. <laughs> I wanted to save my neighborhood. I wanted to save families. I wanted to, I wanted to save the world. And of course, after 29 years, you realize you can't save the world. You better be glad you were able to save your household. <laughs> right. You learn that, but over time, as I evolved as a columnist, the caring is is there. It's I cared about 
that average guy who didn't, nobody answered his phone call. I cared about that person that just, you know, you look at him, you think, oh, this person, something's wrong with him. They just wanted somebody to listen yeah. to them. I cared about that. And it's something, it was a part of me. I didn't see how journalists could, you know, somebody's calling them every day with the story and you, you ignore them because it's not uh, fancy and it's not high profile and it's not one of the, the big stories of the day. Right. But this person's story was important to them. Well, you know? and I so, don't think before you took on your job as columnist, I can't, and I'm born and raised here and I've been reading the paper since my dad stuck a paper in my hand as a very mm -hmm. little kid, but I really don't think there was anyone else who was writing about what you were writing about or even really speaking from that voice in the community. No, I don't think so. I, but it was a natural for me. Right. And so I could talk about issues of poverty. I could talk about issues of race. I could talk, I had been a single mother. And from an authentic place. Yes, and I had been a single mother, so I can talk about how difficult it was to stand in that corner with a baby hosted over your shoulder waiting for the bus and it's 20 degrees outside. Yeah. You know, how terrible, how hard that is and how, how life can be, how we can do more and with our policies in terms of government to make life challenges a lot easier to bear because we all have challenges. You know, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, right. you know, and some challenges, the consequences for those challenges hit them so hard they can't get, back they have a up. hard time getting back up. What we can do is tell the stories of success. Uh, a show, I've, I've had times where I had to uh, write a, a column where you talk about someone's struggle and people pitch in, went deep in their pockets to send me checks and money. Where can I send this check to this person? This was before GoFundMe. Right. Way before GoFundMe. People call you and be like, people how can I help that how person? How can I help that person? And yep. I've, I, 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 that column has raised 18000 20000 30000 to send a young man to college because he had the scholarship and he had, he had the goods. He could do it, but he didn't have Just the money. Just short. Well, I remember you wrote a column once about Diane Latiker. Yes. And that's Kids Off the Block. And mm -hmm. they lost that funding from, I don't know, some corporation. Right. And one of my clients Stepped had up. me call you and said, how can I get in touch with her? I mean, it's true. That's I've seen kind, it happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the kind. And that's, I love that. And so that's what I found about me is that the power for me was not the power of throwing my weight around and like, who do you think right. I am? You know, the power was being able to make something happen positive for someone who really needed it to happen right now. Right. Well, I mean... That's very fulfilling, right? So then what do you think you're going to miss most about having, I know you're going to have your column like twice a month, but I, I you're not going to be more choosy, right? You just yes. can't like just jump right in like, I got to write about no, this today. Yeah. So what are you going like, to miss about I, I that? Think that's, I think that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the action of it. I'm going to miss that adrenaline you get when you're, when you're telling a story. When the, when the news is happening right now right. and things are going breaking right now and you have a story and you have a part in that, I'm going to miss that, you know, being able to do that. The challenge for me will be uh, trying to find some other way to fulfill that desire to be an advocate for someone who mm -hmm. is, is really having a difficult time in life. Right. That's going to be my challenge. I could probably do it through the church. I can do it, probably do it through volunteering. Right. Uh, you know, there are ways that I can do it. You have a lot of connections you've made over the years to pick up the phone and just call someone you know to try to help, right? Right. That's exactly right. So then what do you, you say? I mean, you obviously have a lot of good stories, mm -hmm. uh, interesting stories, you know, sad stories, happy stories mm -hmm. that you've written about. What are maybe like 
a couple that just follow you all the time that you've written over the years that really stay with you? You know, the, well, they stay with me or stay with the public? Which one would you think? Mm, you. Okay. <laughs> that stay with me. I think the story that sticks, it was two stories that stick out for two very different reasons. One is a story that involved Baby T and uh, Ed and Ann Burke. Uh, they adopted, not adopted, they were foster parenting this uh, African-American child that we called Baby T. Mm -hmm. His mother contacted me uh, early on to say that she had done everything that DCFS had asked her to do. She understood that she had lost her child you know, to the system because she was, a, uh, was using drugs. And she was trying to get her child back, took all the steps. She showed me all the certificates and all the papers and all the classes and all the things that she had done to try to get her kid back. And the Burks would not let her have that baby back. And they, they, with their power and their might, they fought her all the way through court. And you saw how the criminal justice system just rolled over for them. Right. And so this woman lost the ability to raise her, her own child. Her child. Her child. She, the, the court awarded guardianship to the Burks she could have visitation. And as I was writing that story, I ran into so many roadblocks. I ran into roadblocks in the newsroom. I ran into roadblocks at DCFS. I ran into political roadblocks. Mm. It was a horrible situation in terms of- It shows of, you his reach. Right, of trying to get a story told. I mean, they used everything from, you're talking about Drake, they made it a whole race issue. I was doing it because they was white and the baby was black. Well, no, I was doing it because she was redeemed. She had done- what she was supposed to do. She had, now she was ready to raise this child. How, right. how do you become a foster parent, take somebody's baby? Mm. My, the reason why that story stays with me is because I felt that I was a very young reporter then when I was trying to cover that story and I didn't have the skill that I had today to stick with a story like that. Oh, wow. So you feel like maybe I, if I you could have impacted more. it differently. Right. If I if I had more skill. Yeah. That might um, haunt me a little bit, too. Yeah. So that was that was one of the ones that bothered that stuck stuck with me. Another one that stuck with me in a good way was a story of a grandmother who was trying to get her child, her grandchild back from Utah. I think it was Utah. I don't remember quite now, but uh People had came from out of state. No, her her daughter had gone out of state to give up her child for adoption. She happened to give up her child in a state where you couldn't change your mind. So you didn't have 24 mm. hours or a minute to change your mind. When she got back to Chicago, and this, this the, the mother of the child was a little bit unstable. No. When she got back to Chicago and the grandmother found out what, what she had done, oh, no. she tried to get the baby back and couldn't get the baby back. They came to me. And so I began to research and look into adoption laws in Illinois and found out that they had circumvented the adoption laws in Illinois to take this baby. And not only did they circumvent the laws, the baby ended up in the custody of two drug addicts. Oh, my God. So we ended up, I ended up writing a series. First, I was the only person writing about it. I wrote a series of articles and all the news media piled on and it became a huge story. Wow. But at the end of the day, those columns ended up getting that baby back from oh. Utah and back to the grandmother. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've actually ever cried on the podcast <laughs> before, and I'm just about to. So, Can you imagine? Uh, could you imagine? I no. And I, I was I, standing I there. Stand, I was standing there at O'Hare. They let us go up where the planes come in. They let us go up and see the plane come in. 
and see the baby come off. How long did it take to get the baby back? Do you remember? Months, I think I worked in that story months, wow. months. But it was fascinating. Bob Fioretti, who was an alderman who uh, had run for for mm-hmm. uh, mayor, yeah. he was the lawyer that volunteered to uh, take on that case. Really? So, yes. Yeah, so, so the work that he did was amazing. He did I it did pro not bono. Know that. It was an amazing story. It was one of the. It was one of the biggest stories in the city for a while because it ended up changing the laws in Springfield when it came to out-of-state adoptions. So nobody now can come into out-of-state. There's a certain time you got to contact to find out about the father, right. and all you got to do a lot of things you have to right. do now in order to uh, have an take yeah an adoption. prevent something like that mm-hmm. from happening if you're out of again. State. Right. Fascinating. Right. Okay, I did not know that story. That I'm going to look that up when I get All home. Right. That that's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> impactful. I didn't know that about Fioretti. Okay, he'll uh, he'll get a thumbs up for me next time I, right. uh, I right. run into yeah, him. Yeah, he was, the, and he was the only lawyer that stepped up to do it. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. So then, what was? Oh, I know. One other. Yeah. One piece of that was important is that mm-hmm. not only did he step up, but grandmothers from across the city sent money in to help pay the expenses for this baby. Wow, that's so amazing. And we raised enough money to help pay the expenses to bring the baby back and provide the clothing and the crib and all those things for that baby. You know what, I'll tell you, this Chicago often gets a bad rap, but it's really filled mostly with good people who want to help. Even with people who don't have a lot, they're still trying to give something. It was like, it was in $5. Right. $25. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this money? And so we ended up just taking all that money and giving it to the grandmother so she can pay, help defray some of the legal costs and take care of the baby. It's, I, that story still gives me chills. That, have you kept in touch with them at all? I kept in touch with them for a while, but as this business, as you know, yeah, yeah, people fall off the radar screen. Right. You know? Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to help you maybe uh, find, find what happened. Yeah, that would That's be so cool. Okay, I'm going to make a note to myself here. Follow up on this. I'm a I'm a good detective, so I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, you how like I that do. part of the job. I do like that part of the job. That's that's the most fun. So, you know, obviously you've had to write some really difficult stories as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think has been the most uh, difficult subject that you've had to tackle? I think the most difficult subject has always been that involving children. So, uh, and the stories that I don't like to write about, and these are stories about DCFS, someone calls you, there's a custody dispute. So many. Custody dispute, or DCFS has my child, and I've done this and that and the other. You try, you get into those stories, and then you, th- there's always this thing in your chest that says, God, please don't let me let somebody, abuser, really get their child back. Don't let me do something and use my platform in the wrong way, and a child gets killed. Right. You know that those are those are really tough stories to do. Celeb stories are also tough because Chicago love their celebrities. We just can't I, get over them. I, I know. can't get enough of them. We, I wrote a column about Chance the Rapper, mm-hmm. and honest to God, they dragged oh, me. Oh yeah, they dragged that me so hellfire. hard through. <laughs> I through remember social watching media. that. I was like, I'm done with social media. Right. I'm never going <laughs> back, back again. I know. Well, you know, you're there to speak your mind and not everyone's always gonna agree (laughs) and now you know now we are in um we are at a time where people get a chance to get at you a lot closer used to be they'd have to pick up the phone and people don't say to you or write a letter yeah write a letter they're on the phone when they're talking to you they do not say some of the things they say they'll write in an email or they'll write in a letter 
uh, on Twitter, it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, people what people say on Twitter, what people say on Facebook, and all that nastiness out there, they're not going to see me in the grocery store and, and say come stuff up like and, that. Exactly. Or see me on the L it and gives talk them to that me opening, like that. though, too. But face-to-face, yeah. But, never. yeah, so for me, any column that draws that out of people, mm-hmm. because columns do can do a lot of things. They can make you sad. They can make you happy. They can uh, give you empathy for something. They can make they, they can make you uh, agitated, you know, and go out and want to, you know, carry a picket sign. I mean, right. those things that that happens with a column. And when it happens that it's you're being dragged and you people get angry, those are hard ones, you know. I know it's, it's political it's, leaders. They're hard too. Yeah, you oh, know, oh, Reverend Jesse no Jackson. Doubt. We didn't speak for a decade. Because of a column that I wrote. I remember that. <laughs> I Which is why I said you were not afraid to call out certain leaders. <laughs> yes. And so now, but, you know, all that's over and all that's yeah. passed. But I had to say what was right and I thought needed to be said. Right. So, you know, Mary, given that that you perhaps more than anyone else has spent time bringing awareness and, a, you know, a spotlight on DCFS and mm-hmm. the challenges it's had there for for decades. And now we have a new governor with uh, who someone who's been very passionate about children, early childhood development. Who I I, I think and hope is really going to try to mm-hmm. to do something about this very broken system. I mean, given all of your experience and knowledge, like you know, what would you? suggest or say to him about so this. one thing i think has to be done with uh, dcfs besides the fact that they need stability and leadership uh, and i think that uh, governor prisker is going is trying to provide that by appointing someone and 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 giving them the go-ahead to correct some of these problems and putting money into it by the way mm-hmm. to hire more caseworkers so all of that is done but i saw dcfs fall apart or slowly deteriorate over years because they came out with laws to protect themselves instead of protecting children. And this Mm. is what I mean by that. When I came into the business in 1991, you could pick up the phone when something was going on, you get a complaint about a child and and, and the circumstances that child was in. They would talk to you and, you know, they they, they understood privacy but they would talk to you and, and give you the information that you needed to track down what was, to get at the truth of what was going on in that home. Mm -hmm. And then they passed laws and which the laws were based on the HIPAA laws uh, that they didn't have to talk to the media. So the, they didn't have to tell us anything. Oh, Because right. of privacy laws. I didn't laws. know that that's yes. how it no, they, they No, they, they don't have to tell you anything. And so you can call them up and say, you got this complaint about blah, 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 and you know the child was in danger, whatever, mm-hmm. and they can tell you what. We can't give you that information. Because it's a law. It's because a cover-your-ass law, really. It's, it's yeah. a covering-your-behind law. And for, and for me... I watched from that point on things getting worse and worse for children because if you don't have if if the, if the spotlight of the media is not on you think about it when it when they're investigating a murder they're going to spotlight is going to be on that suspect right. when they're investigating some corruption spotlight is going right. to be on the people that are accused but they investigate child abuse and child molestation we don't have anybody to talk to we're in to. the dark and yeah. so you have the unless the child is dead and then right. it's too late <sighs> If the child is dead, then they will talk to you. But that's too late. So I think that what I would say, what I would advise the governor to do is get on this, get back on his platform and start think, uh, talking about transparency of information in the media when it comes to child abuse and child molestation cases. I think that's a pretty easy idea to take. Yes, right? that's something that I think that would that would do a lot to to help improve things for children. Right. 
well, you're not a politician. You'll mm-hmm. probably never aspire to be. But, you know, you obviously have had that very unique bird's eye view on challenges facing the city because you do write about them so much. Mm-hmm. So you won't be covering the current administration as much. No. But in addition to business and civic leaders and whatnot, mm-hmm. many of whom are trying to make Chicago a better place for everyone. But if you could give advice to them about what to do, like, do you have something you you want to well, try to impart? You know, no. I, I guess what I would say is that stick to your promises. Stick to your word. I mean, that's as simple as that. Stick to your word. If this is who you portray, who you portray yourself to be, if this is your priority, if your priority is education, don't get me distracted on all these other things. Find a way to improve education. If your priority is income, you know, equality, don't get me mixed up in all these other different things. Show me your plan and how you're going to do that. Because I think what happens during election cycles, everybody through all, all these things they're going to do, and it's, they're all chicken in a pot. <laughs> That's all they are, is chicken right. in a pot. Because they're not going to get them all done. And then they get in the office and they get distracted by all these other political things. So he said this, she did that, they did that. But they don't get, they don't get the job done and so I would just say stick to your word I mean the and 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 in sticking to your word learn how to say and admit I was wrong mm-hmm. because one thing I know about Chicagoans they are a forgiving They're bunch very forgiving people don't realize but you gotta that. say I was wrong you gotta say I was wrong and they forgive and they go on yep. but if you don't ever say that that's that that I think that's what sunk wrong he never said Early on, that's I very was hard wrong. for him. I think yes. I know. <laughs> and if he had said I was wrong, I believe he would have been forgiven. Yeah. So yeah. stick to your word. Yep, that's very good advice, perhaps for anyone, but especially <laughs> folks who live in the public eye all the time. Right. So I'll switch a gear here a little bit, but okay. I know you're you you feel very hopeful about a lot of the young people in the newsroom um, mm-hmm. at the Sun Times, but in general, kind of. What's your view on the state of journalism today, and uh, are newspapers going to make it? Well, I got my bill for the Sun-Times today, and I looked at it, and they wanted $130 for 26 weeks. And I thought, I'm now on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Do I really have $130 a month for a newspaper? These These are the challenges that the Sun-Times and any newspaper has right. to face. And so they're looking at a dwindling number of subscribers. I think we're doing better now than we were uh, last year this time. Oh, yeah. And trying to find ways to keep those subscribers. And so I would say the future for uh, this, the newspapers has to be in the hands of older readers because that is not where young people are getting their news. Right. They're not going to recruit them. They're gone. They are on the cell phone. They are on the iPod. They are not going to pick up a, a newspaper. You have to keep the people who are supporting the newspaper engaged. It's like mm-hmm. Hollywood and movies about older people. It took a while for Hollywood to get right. older people are the ones going to the movies. Right, right. But they had to <laughs> so start they see doing movies about that. Exactly. Right. Right. And that Smart. has to be a kind of a strategy that newspapers have to take. They got to remember that they have a core group of readers that have not died out yet. Right. They're still their core group and then you need to give them something. Mm-hmm. I have faith and, and hope that newspapers will find a way 
to just split it up so that the the print people are getting what they need and the people who get digitally get their news that they're getting what they need to. Good. Well, I am very hopeful because I still like to hold a newspaper. Me I'm going to admit, there's just something to that. Although and I, it's kind of thin. Now. I don't like holding it. I know. It's kind of like, wait, <laughs> you want to say, right? There's a lot of ads in there. But, and... <laughs> you, but you read it. You yeah. read it from cover to cover, and I look at it, and I sit down with my coffee, and it's it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a ritual. It's a habit, and it's a ritual. Right, right, yes. exactly. So um, what, you know, what do you think you plan to really do? Do, you've talked a little bit of what you've done so far in two weeks, but mm-hmm. what are some of the other things that you're really hoping to do moving forward and continue to stay engaged outside of, you know, still having your column a couple times? A right. Month? Well, you know, I want to write long form. So Ooh, I'll probably fabulous. write a book, a memoir of some sort about the, and based around the public housing and growing up there. Mm-hmm. I And was that the one down at 63rd? No, I grew the name. up at 38th and Langley. And oh, so okay. that was called the Clarence Darrow Homes. Mm, it was Darrow. notorious notorious for the young child getting thrown out of a window. Yeah, God. That's that, the building that yep, I lived in. Yeah. Yeah, and so that that was demolished. So I, I think I'm going to spend time examining some of the things I just didn't have time to do. You know, there are a lot of, you know this, there are a lot of sacrifices that come with having a career and a busy career at that and a demanding career and raising children. And so there are a lot of things that I miss. They're grown now, but I yeah. have gra- I have grandchildren and I have things that I wanted to do and I wanted to learn for myself that I never had time to do. So quite honestly, when people ask me about, well, what do you plan to do? I'm gonna let, the, I'm gonna let life open up to me. I'm gonna see what's out there. I'm gonna explore walking down the street and being me. You know? <laughs> Without being on a rush Without, deadline. Having this the time somewhere. to do All it, right? right? Yo, or people are costing me about something that I wrote, I'm gonna, I'm going to spend time finding me. And I will always be an advocate. I will always stick up for the little guys, how I was raised. You know, right. my, my father would always say, I'm always for the underdog. And that's true. I feel the same way. I'm from the underdog. So I'll find ways to, to fulfill that. Chicagoans always love the underdogs, right? We do. That's who we are. <laughs> no matter where that's you That's who we from. are. That's true. And if you don't, ah, you're not a real Chicagoan. You can go to the Burbs. <laughs> Nothing against the Burbs, right. but let's be real. So... Yeah. Well, um, I I hate to say this, but we've uh, come to the end of our show after a good 40, 45 minutes or so. Um, I could still keep talking. I think once this is off, we will uh, still keep talking. But, you know, I just want to thank Mary Mitchell for being our guest and giving us time during, you know, this new phase of her life. Uh, you know, departing that full time gig that she's held for so long at the Sun Times and to, and to talk with us and it's really been a great conversation you know i could talk to you all day long so maybe at least now we'll have more time to we catch have up time right for catching up and thank you <laughs> becky it's always been a joy working with you as few people that i know in this business that you know i've gotten as close to as i've gotten to you so i really do appreciate oh you're so sweet you. okay come on don't make me cry okay like i gotta keep my makeup on i gotta drive to milwaukee tonight i got family to say it's not gonna not not a good time but we'll go grab a drink and then you can tell me how wonderful okay and then i'll cry at our drinks <laughs>
So thank you. Thank you. And as always, the broadcast is brought to you by C-Strategies LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs firm bringing passion and veteran experience to help clients meet their business goals. Uh, Thank you again to our sponsor, Evolver, which is Chicago's first creative co-working space for women, and to our podcast host, 1871. Thanks as well to our other sponsor, the insurance people. President Alexander Eidenberg has been in the industry for 15 years and known for her out-of-box ideas to help folks access quality health care at the right price. So the broadcast is produced and edited by Tweed Thornton. Thank you, Tweed. Additional editing provided by Nicholas Fedora. Music by Christy Bennett's Boomy Gypsy Project. And to learn more, yeah, it's original. She wrote wow. something just for the broadcast. I know, it's really cool. Uh, and to learn more about C Strategies in the broadcast, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at C Strategies LLC. So come. Let the wall